This morning, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Actually, we're going to be several places in the book of Genesis, but our, our main text is going to be in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. And I want to talk this morning a little bit about the nature of sacrifices and offerings. Now, the next couple of weeks isn't necessarily a series per se, but there are a, a group of messages this week and next week that's pointing us to Easter Sunday. Uh, to look at offerings and sacrifices uh, this morning, particularly uh, what these sacrifices and offerings uh, have that point us to Christ. Characteristics of sacrifices and offerings that remind us of the goodness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So uh, this morning we're going to be looking at really four different sacrifices. The first four sacrifices that we find in the Bible. Our main one is going to be the fourth one, and we're going to read that here in just a minute, Genesis 22, 1 through 14. But we're also going to look at three others briefly before that to see what these characteristics are that we, we need to be looking towards the cross in. A sacrifice by nature is something you give up on behalf of someone else. Um, so we, we all make sacrifices. Uh, if you have children, you've made sacrifices for your children or your grandchildren. Now, sometimes you make sacrifices at work, whether it be for a, a co-worker or, or for the company. You know, we, we know what it is to give a little bit of ourselves for the benefit of others. On a small scale, we understand sacrifice. I want you to know this year, 2021, is coming off a really difficult, difficult year for all of us, but especially for Kentucky basketball fans. It's been hard, right? There's been a lot that's gone on, and I won't say it's the worst thing, but it's up there for how bad our basketball team has been this year. Um, it's been rough. I want you to know, how many of you all are Illinois fans in here? If you're watching online, you're Illinois fans. That's why I'm so glad. I want you to know that the University of Kentucky has sacrificed their season, not made the tournament, so that you have a hope of winning some games this year in March Madness. That's, that's our sacrifice to you. You're welcome. Right? We understand a little bit about sacrifice. We've, we've done it. But I will say, no matter how much you have sacrificed, I don't think we have a full grasp and understanding of exactly what a sacrifice, a biblical understanding of a sacrifice really is. How big a deal these sacrifices and offerings were. So I want to look at a very famous sacrifice. Uh, I almost said it was a, a near sacrifice, but we're going to read a sacrifice actually does take place in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. I want to read about this sacrifice, and then we're going to rewind and look at some others and, and see some characteristics. Look with me in chapter 22 of Genesis, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, 
together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What a dramatic story of sacrifice. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe multiple times. But can you put yourself for just a moment in the mind of Abraham when God says, I'm going to make you a great nation and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And in doing so, he gave Abraham one legitimate son as a hundred-year-old man. And now God says, Abraham, take your one and only son, put him on the altar, and sacrifice him. I think after hearing this story a hundred times in Sunday school classes and growing up and seeing it on a, a flannel graph, we have a tendency to water down the dramatic effect that this had. We, we've heard it so many times, it's almost lost on us, the fact that God has said, take your one and only son, who I've promised to make you a great nation out of, and I want you to slaughter him and burn him as an offering to me. This is not a small request. As a matter of fact, I'm thankful we have the end result of this. Because if someone were to pick up their Bible and read Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis 22 and stop halfway in the middle of this story, they'd probably take their Bible and throw it in disgust. All of this leading up to God calling Abraham and making his family a great name only to have God say, slaughter him. This is a, this is a dramatic picture of a sacrifice that God calls out of Abraham. And so while we tend to downplay it, I hope when we learn the nature of a sacrifice, we'll see that this story is a perfect picture, not on accident, through God's intention and design, a perfect picture of the cross. In order to get there, I want to look at some characteristics of sacrifices. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the details of types of sacrifices. We'll actually hit on some of that next week. Instead, I want to look at a general picture of what takes place when a biblical sacrifice happens. And to do that, I want to briefly look at three sacrifices that preceded this one. I'm sure there were hundreds, but we have three recorded in Scripture, this being the fourth. The very first sacrifice that ever took place was in Genesis chapter 3. As far as we know, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm confident in saying the first sacrifice ever in all of human history 
took place in Genesis chapter 3. If you're trying to piece the puzzle together, God's created everything perfect, and Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. They've messed it up the same way, pointed out earlier today, that we would have done the same thing. Right? They, they have completely botched perfection to the point that now they are separated from God. At one point, as they, they realize the guilt of their sin, they look around and they notice, Adam and Eve do, that they're naked. And for the first time, they feel shame and they feel guilt. Oh, this nakedness all throughout Scripture is a picture of shame and guilt. From that moment on, nakedness is a picture of, of shame and guilt over sin. So here Adam and Eve, for the first time, are realizing their nakedness and their sinfulness. And God in His mercy and His grace has, has called out their sin. But then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, we don't have an altar built here. We don't actually have a picture of how God killed the animals to get the skins. But we don't have all the details. But here's what we know. God used a sacrifice of animals in order to cover the guilt and the sin and the shame that Adam and Eve were experiencing. The first characteristic of a biblical sacrifice is that a sacrifice covers sin. It's what it's meant for. Something dies in order for your sin to be covered. And in this case, in Genesis 3, it was a literal covering, right? You are naked and ashamed and guilty, and God uses the death of an animal to cover over that shame and that wickedness that Adam and Eve had just experienced. As we think about characteristics of sacrifices for you, let us be reminded that God's intention in every sacrifice is so that you can recognize your sin and have it covered as well. Every sacrifice in all of the Bible, its purpose and its intention is to point you to a forgiveness of sins, a covering of your sin. From the very beginning, God offers the first sacrifice. He sacrifices the animals on behalf of humanity and covers their sin. The second sacrifice we find in the very next chapter, it's a picture of, of offerings that are given to God by Adam and Eve's two sons. And so in this story of Cain and Abel, we learn that Cain is, is a man who works the ground and has produce. Abel is a man who, who works the field and has livestock. And they each bring an offering before God. Cain from his grain and his, his produce. And Abel from his livestock and his animals. And what we find is as they bring their sacrifices to God, God looks at Cain and he says, I reject your sacrifice. He looks at Abel and he says, I receive your sacrifice. As a matter of fact, we find in Genesis 4, 3 and 5, Cain brought the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord regarded Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The rest of that story is Cain gets so angry with his brother that he commits the first murder recorded in the Bible. He kills his brother Abel out of his anger because God has rejected this offering. You know, for years, as I read this story, I assumed what most people assume, and that was... Cain, you should have went and killed an animal, right? I mean, you, you brought fruit when obviously God wanted flesh. Do you know nowhere in the Bible is that why it says that 
Cain's sacrifice was rejected. As a matter of fact, you can read all throughout the Old Testament, there are times that God calls and asks for grain offerings and fruit offerings and produce offerings, not flesh and blood. There are different offerings for different things, but there are times that God finds acceptable our offering from the ground. You know what the key here, the reason for the rejection, it wasn't the content of what he offered, fruit versus flesh. The reason Cain's offering was rejected is actually found in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. That's the difference. Cain brought some fruit, and Abel brought the best of his livestock. It wasn't whether it was fruit or flesh. It was whether it was the best of what you had or just something that you have. A second key characteristic to a biblical sacrifice is that a sacrifice reveals your motives. Do you want to give your best or not? Do you want to give something to appease yourself? Or do you want to give all that you have to the God who deserves all that you have? We have no idea, no clue, whether God had gone to Cain and Abel and said, bring me an offering of flesh. What we do know is whatever Cain offered was not wholehearted. It was just what was laying around. By the way, there's a whole tithe offering that can spin off of this that we won't delve into, but just to, just to hit on, when we think about giving even financially to God, do, do we give God what's left over after all of our bills are paid and our wants are taken care of and, and all of our necessities and, and desires are paid? Or, or do we come and say, God, first I give to you? This is how sacrifices and offerings work, right? It reveals our heart. God, can you have all of me, the best of me, or can you have the parts of me that I don't really care about anyways? I can give you, God, Sunday morning for an hour. But man, Monday through Saturday, they're mine. I can give you, God, service in the church that doesn't cost me anything. I can plug in here or there, but God, if it, if it takes some preparation, if it takes me having to work at serving the kingdom of God, I, I'm going to reserve that for myself. Do we come and do we sacrifice like Cain, who says, Lord, I'm going to give you something? Or do you sacrifice like Abel, who says, God, I'm going to give you everything? What we find is that, that our sacrifice to God reveals our own heart, our own motivation, our own desire, and our own relationship with the Father. Is he worth the best or not? The third sacrifice or offering we find in the, the Old Testament as we're, we're going on, there's a lot that happens between Cain and Abel and the book of, uh, or the, the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 8. Uh, 6, 7, and 8, we, we read about Noah, how he's, he's called by God to build an ark. Now, all of humanity is exceedingly wicked, and so God calls one man and his family to build a giant boat and to put uh, two of every kind of animal on the boat so that when God sends rain and floods the world, humanity will be saved. So you know the story. You've seen the flannel graph. I really should have had a flannel graph up here. That would have been fun this morning, wouldn't it? You, you've heard the Sunday school lesson. You've seen the cartoon pictures. And we won't get into the details of the violent nature of the flood. But God saved Noah, not just from rain and waters, but from extinction, from annihilation. From the pain of death in the world around him, God pulls Noah out of that, saves him. And after a time, he has the waters recede and Noah exits off of the boat. 
He steps on dry ground for the first time in a long time. And his reaction to the God who has saved him is one of sacrifice and offering. Look with me in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Then, this is once Noah's off of the boat, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. In this moment, God receives the offering and the sacrifice. And he makes a promise. We read in Genesis 8, he seals that promise with a sign, a rainbow across the sky, that when we would look at that bow, when we'd see that, that colorful display of God's creation, we could be reminded that God desires mercy. God desires salvation, not judgment. And so in this moment, Noah gives to God from what he pulls off the ark. I want you to know, a sacrifice does cost something. Not a little bit. A sacrifice costs a lot. I want you to think about this. I love asking trick questions, so I want some feedback here. I'm going to ask the question, and I want you to answer quickly and just tell me what it is. How many of each type of animal did Moses take on the ark? Wrong. Noah took the animals on the ark. You're supposed to pay attention. Moses didn't go on the ark. So <laughs> Noah took two kinds of animals on the ark of all different kinds. Now, we can do a whole study, and I would love to talk to you more about what those kinds look like, but I want you to, to pay close attention to this. It doesn't say he took two of every animal. He took two of every kind of animal. So we get this idea that on the ark there were, there were two poodles and two Labradors and there were two beagles and there were two of all these different kinds of dogs. That's not what it says. There were two dogs. Like two dogs was it. As a matter of fact, we have this idea that there were the, the, the dogs over here that we'd have as pets and then there were wolves over here. The Bible says he took two of each kind. Right? Two, two types of dogs that eventually, uh, over the course of time, have now become all the different breeds we have. There were two dogs on the ark. That's it. Just two. Two cats. I don't know why he kept the cats, but two cats, right? He's got, he's got two of every kind. And there were a few animals that God told him to take more of, right? Some of the, the uh, clean animals, the ones that were eventually going to be acceptable to eat. At this point, they weren't, but God knew in his plan. There were certain birds that God told him to take seven instead of two. There were certain animals that he had a few more, but here's what I want you to paint a picture. We just took all of living land and air animals. They're all extinct except for what fits on a rather large, but a boat. This is all the animals we have left. Just one family, two of every kind of animal, and seven of a few others. We're not talking about billions of creatures. We're talking about the last living creatures that God has allowed to live. And he gets off the boat, and what does Noah do with some of those animals? He doesn't have very many, just a handful. He takes a few of them, and he lays them, and he sacrifices, and he gives them to God. A sacrifice has got to cost something. So the question becomes, why, why does Noah sacrifice these animals? Why is it that, that Noah feels compelled to take what he's only got seven of in these clean animals and kill a few of them in a sacrifice to God? It's because 
Noah knows, he sees in the rainbow, that every single sacrifice is a confirmation of God's promises. I can give this to you and sacrifice because you've promised something greater. God, I can sacrifice these animals because you've promised that you will never do this in that method again. I can give you, God, my sacrifice because whatever I'm giving up, you have something even greater in store for me. A sacrifice is a confirmation of God's promises, that we trust God's promises, that when God says he will do it, he means it and he'll do it. When God says, I will save you, Noah, and your family, Noah steps off that boat and says, boy, God proved himself right again. Every sacrifice that we make is a confirmation of what God promises to us. How does that look with our our story that we started with in Genesis chapter 22? Can Can we see the promises of God Can we see the confirmation of God working? Can we see the characteristics of sacrifices and offerings in Genesis 22? I think all three of those characteristics are in that one sacrifice. Look with me, for instance, when we talk about sacrifice covering sin. Genesis 22, verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they both of them went together. We'll get into more details next week. There's a specific type of offering that God requires of people that does require blood and flesh, and it's a sin offering. It's this offering of of a flesh for a flesh. In our sinfulness, we cannot be in right relationship with God without atoning for our sins. And the very type of offering that Abraham is going up to make is one of atonement one that requires blood, one that would cover his own sin. The truth is, as Isaac is going up there, he's not innocent in this. We have this picture in our mind that that Isaac's done nothing wrong. God's asked for a sacrifice. But we read all throughout Scripture that all of us are born wicked and evil and have sin in our own lives. Isaac wasn't being sacrificed for Abraham. Isaac was being sacrificed because like you and I, we all deserve to pay for our own sin. When God says, sacrifice your son, literally what he's saying is not sacrifice him for your benefit, Abraham. He's saying, Isaac, like every person in all of humanity, deserves death because of sin. Go make a burnt offering and let's take care of this sin. This sacrifice was meant to pay for the sins specifically of Isaac and of all of Abraham's family. How about our motives. How does this reveal the motives in the sacrifice? Well, look at Abraham's heart in offering this sacrifice. A few quick verses that we'll, we'll jump to. In verse 3, it says, Abraham rose early in the morning. God said, kill your son. He didn't waste any time. Got a good night's sleep. I'm sure he slept well, not stressed about anything at all. Popped up early the next morning. He gathers all of his things, and he goes. Look in verse 5. He tells his His servants, I and the boy will go over there and worship. And listen to what Abraham says. Don't miss this. And come again to you. The boy and I are going to go over here. We're going to do our thing. And then the boy and I are going to come back. What is Abraham's motive here? I don't know what God's doing, but I trust that his promise is sure. I can sacrifice my son. I can give that up because I know God will somehow miraculously 
take care of this. The writer of Hebrews will later tell us that Abraham's faith was so strong that he believed once he killed his son that God would raise him from the dead. This is the motive that Abraham goes with. God, I know that you're in control. Look down in in verse 7. He looks at Isaac when he says, where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide the lamb. God is in control of this, Isaac. Relax. I know this is stressful and scary, and you don't know what's going on, but God has commanded, and he is in control. Finally, look at verse 10. He lays his son on the altar. It says, Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham's motive was obedience to God at all costs. I try to put myself in Abraham's position, and to be honest with you, I can't do it. I just, I can't fathom. I mean, the flannel graph, I could do the flannel graph, right? But verse 10, boy, there's not a, I don't know there's a more powerful verse as a parent than Genesis 22.10. The whole time, Abraham's saying, God's going to take care of this, God's going to provide. And then Abraham's true motives are revealed when he picks up the knife and he raises it to slaughter his own son. This sacrifice reveals the motives of the one offering the sacrifice. Abraham's desire to serve God was greater than anything he had on this earth, including his own family. How about confirming God's promises? Well, God had promised to make Abraham a great nation. And we see this sacrifice confirms the promise of God. Look in verse 14. Once God takes care of everything, Abraham calls the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is Abraham saying, God, you promised me, and you were true to your word. You provided the way. You revealed yourself fully to me. The sacrifice confirms your promise. So we think about the nature of sacrifices and offerings. There is a sense of an application of how you offer yourself to God. And I, I want to I make sure we don't gloss that over. God is asking you to give all of yourself, not part of it, your best that you have to him. It's going to cost you something. It's going to be painful. And, and God wants you to do it because you, you need to recognize your own sin and God's holiness. But we are way off if we think that's the main point of Genesis 22. There's an application to that. Every time I've ever read Genesis 22, and I think about it pointing to the cross of Christ, I think of Abraham being similar to God, taking his only son and being willing to sacrifice him. And that's the wrong way to read this chapter. Isaac is not the Jesus figure in this. Isaac is us. The father saying, as much as I love you, my son, my creation, there's sin in your life that has to be atoned for. Isaac is not the Jesus figure. He's me and you. And God in his justice, God in his righteousness, has no other option than to make us pay for the sins we've committed. You know who the Jesus figure is in this story? It's not Abraham. He's the father. It's not Isaac. That's you and I. The Jesus figure is the lamb. Isaac deserved the death. And God said, in his place, I will provide 
a sacrifice. This story points us to the cross of Christ because it reminds us that we, we need something to cover our sins and our sacrifice isn't enough. But God will provide. What we find is that when the Father gave the Son as a sacrifice, our sins were perfectly atoned for because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. This is the nature of the sacrifice. Not that you and I can do anything to earn a right standing with God, but God the Father, instead of punishing us on the altar, provided a lamb. This morning, the application is just this. We know we're deserving to be sacrificed up. Are we accepting for God to provide a substitute? Do we see the nature and the motives of who God is and his desire to save? Do we understand his, his desire to cover our sins? Do we see the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? I'm going to pray, and I would ask you to consider that this morning. Father, do I accept the substitute for my sins? Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. Lord, we are wicked and undeserving of your love. And yet, like a good father who's created us and cares about us, Lord, you see our sin and you provide a way for atonement. Father, I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that instead of me having to die for my sins, your son, the perfect and spotless lamb, died in my place. Father, I put myself not in Abraham's shoes, but in Isaac's shoes. Lord, I thank you that while I was deserving of death, the angel of the Lord steps in and says, don't harm the boy. Father, I lay before you my sin this morning and ask for your forgiveness. I pray that you would take it and put it on the lamb on the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as you do, I, I pray that now I would live the rest of my life with a desire to be freed from sin and to follow your word. Father, convict our hearts this morning. Lord, let us come before you and sacrifice our own lives and allow Jesus Christ to take our place. It's in your name we pray. Amen.